My friends, hear the good news that makes possible our confession, that heals us and restores us. From Paul's letter to the Philippians, these words of encouragement. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. May this song be our confession, and may we say to God be the glory. Believe the good news, my friends. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Tell it to the world. Amen. Father, we cherish your word, and we praise you for the way your Holy Spirit speaks it into our hearts, that we may be transformed by it and be agents, ambassadors of that great good news through all the world. Let this good news come now and find us, Lord, not only in word, but in power, in your Holy Spirit, and with that full assurance that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be truly acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock, you are our salvation. All these things we pray in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our risen Lord. The reason we have the church, the reason we are not a bunch of scattered individuals is so that we would know why we are here for the days that we are here. So that we would know why we do what we do. Now, some of us are retired, some of us are retiring. You notice the search committee's diligently on the path of a new pastor. They're doing good work. If you have any questions, talk to them about the process. Some of us are still working, some of us are students, but all of us are doing something for God's glory, whether or not we know it. That's why we're here. But do we know why we do what we do? I thought about someone whose career, theoretically, should be very evident of this, and that is the career of a lifeguard. A lifeguard knows why he or she does what they do. You know why? Because people get in trouble even when they don't think they are. People get in trouble even when they think they know what they are doing. They get out into a particular situation in the water and they think they're fine and suddenly they're trapped. And because of that, they will drown without rescue. Lifeguards are there because people think they know what they're doing. In fact, it happened to an old friend of mine uh, this past week. Those of you San Diegans will know where Wind and Sea Beach is in La Jolla. He was an experienced swimmer, strong, strong swimmer, strong guy, stayed in good shape, third baseman for the La Jolla High baseball team, 
good guy, but he was not ashamed to say on Facebook in front of God and the whole world that he got into a situation where he had to be saved. He got out into what's called a rip current or a riptide, and before he knew it, he was exhausted and could not get back to shore. And the La Jolla lifeguards had to come out and get him. That is the purpose of the gospel. We are, as a human condition, out in that riptide. We are on the undertow, and we will not be saved unless we are rescued by one who is the Savior. That is why we are here, to make that message known. That's the purpose of Paul's writing. He says, I, I, I know you can do this. I know you know how to swim. I, I, I know you know the situation. Nevertheless, there's some things I need to be very strong with you about. Remember the basics. Remember that there is an undertow, and remember that there's only one form of rescue. The purpose of our lives, no matter what it is we do, whether we are retired or still working, students, whatever, is to say, hey, there's a riptide, and don't be afraid to raise that hand so that the lifeguard sees it and comes. Paul wrote this letter to a church he'd never visited, a church he did not found. Late in his life, he'd already finished his third missionary journey, but he wanted to lay out why we do what we do. He knew that he probably was going to lose his life soon, and in fact, it was in Rome, ultimately, that he did. But he said, before I go, before I'm gone, I want you to be able to say why you are here and why you do what you do and what it is, what is it you are doing. He wrote to people to encourage them to be the body of Christ for a world that was lost in the undertow without Jesus. Now he said not insincerely, you're full of goodness. You're filled with knowledge. You are able to instruct one another. You can do this. And do you know why he had this confidence? Because he knows that the gospel is the result, not first of any person's work or teaching, but the work of God's Holy Spirit taking hold of our lives and turning us into new people who are saved by God's grace. He says, I know that you have the ability to make this known. Why? Because it's happened to you. You've been pulled from the undertow. And you know that you have been. And you know that it wasn't through anything you did. And now you have that ability. Now, I want to remind you of the key points so that you can tell this to the world. This is what brought the church into being. And it's what's going to usher in the return of Christ. When the church is so well equipped that every single one of us is making known through the very nature of our being, when we're standing in line at Walmart, when we're going out to pick up the newspaper, when we're talking to our neighbors, when we're having a meal together, whatever it is, that the goodness and the hope of Jesus Christ resides in us and overflows out of us because that is our hope. Our part, Paul reminds us with his next sentence, is to be aware of the details of the gospel so that we will always be prepared and able to proclaim that gospel clearly, distinctly, candidly, by telling our own story of being encountered by God's grace and that grace that makes us whole in the very real chapters of life. 
when the wheels have fallen off, when things have gone bump in the night, when our hearts are broken, when we feel devastated for, for whatever reason. See, this is the reason for our faith. Because in all of those circumstances, when a relationship has ended, when a career has been destroyed, when a, a life has been lost, when hope seems to have gone away, we have that underlying sense that we have been taken from the undertow because God has come out to get us even before we raised our hand. He saw we were caught in that riptide and he came to get us. And we get to in turn from the shore proclaim that good news that we are alive because that's what he did. The reason for our faith is to know and make known that Jesus Christ comes to find us in every moment and every chapter of our lives, particularly, particularly the hardest ones, the darkest ones, where we've come to the end of our know-how and our ability to make sense of life. That ever happened to you? It just happens to me. It happens in different chapters. And the reason we have this is because we have been sent into a world that has no sense of true and lasting hope, except to maybe find a little more power than the other person or nation or circumstance. Look around in our world. People figure, well, I guess if I had more money, I guess if I had more power, I guess if our nation was bigger than the other nation and my house was bigger than the other person's, maybe then, no, come on. We know that's not the answer because we've been rescued from trying to find hope in that way. It is utter folly to think that the things of this world will sustain us, even our health. But if that's all you've got, and that's our world, thinking that's all they've got, then that's what you go with, right? Get out the visa card. Go build a bigger house. Unless. And that is what Paul says is the unless that we have. That he has been given and that we are ministers to a world in need. He says, and in turn they, and in turn us, have a ministry to, he says, to the Gentiles. Now, Gentiles is not a word we use very often, if at all, except maybe in Bible study. But do you know what the word Gentile means literally in our day-to-day -day living? Very simply, it means nations. It means the everyday people. It means the people who don't know the good news. We have a gift of grace from God that is for the world to know. That though it is caught in the riptide, God has come in Jesus Christ to be the lifeguard that has pulled us all from sure death. Paul says he can be very proud and confident of what we have been given to do, even to the point of boasting. But it's not like bragging. Rather, he says, I know this is our hope, and I could stand firm on this and say there is no other way because it has come from the one, Jesus Christ, who gave us this ministry by saving us and rescuing us and rescuing those who are caught in that subtle challenge of the world. He says we can have this boasting confidence because we have the story of having been rescued. 
We've been lifted out of our own folly and futility. <laughs> and so I was thinking about that this week. I thought, well, okay, when have I been rescued? And then it just came flooding back. And, and you have too, and your story's different than mine, and yet it's the same. We have all had God reach out and say, hey, I'm here. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I want to set you free. I want to give you a gift. So I thought about it, and I realized I, I once had a yellow boat, a little kitty boat, meant, meant for a swimming pool. I don't think they make them anymore because they're probably dangerous, but <laughs> I loved it. But it was only meant to be in a swimming pool, and it was only meant to be for a little kid. But being the curious kid that I was, I saw that in the bow of that boat, toward the front, there was a recess. There was a hole that you could put in a mast. Oh. So I had my dad go out to the garage and get a broom handle. It was about five feet long. And I had him put it into that recess and then put guy wire, safety wires all around it to hold it in place. And I got a, a sail and I put it on there. And I said, now, Dad, let's go down to Mission Bay in, in San Diego. I want to see how this works. Now, you need to know, my dad probably thought this was a good idea because he couldn't swim. And he was probably thinking, oh, good, the kid's out sailing across the Mission Bay and I can't do anything about it. No. Anyway, I get my little sister in the boat. I was in the front, she's in the back. She's a lawyer, she's gonna sue me for this. Well, anyway, it worked great. And we're, we're sailing across Mission Bay and everything's going good and there's dad and he's this tiny dot back on the shore. And it's all good except the boat has no rudder. And so we are totally at the whim of the current and the wind. And it was really pretty fun. Hi, Dad, you know. But Dad couldn't swim. And Dad knew that that channel was going out toward the jetty and out to the open sea. Yeah. And so what's Dad to do? There's no cell phone back then. And well, you get the picture. And guess what happens? Up comes up swimming like a Navy SEAL, the San Diego lifeguard. Dang, that guy was strong. I mean, we're way out there, and he's just thrashing through the water. Got the, the, uh, the life uh, buoy behind him. And he gets behind that boat, and he's stroking and keeping his shoulders and his head in, and he's pushing that boat back to shore. <laughs> and I've never forgotten that because I've realized since then how many more times since I was a little kid I've gone out without a rudder. How about you? Gone out without a rudder, just on impulse, and realized that I was only saved because God saw me and came and put his shoulder behind me and pushed me back to where I needed to be. And those are just the times I can think about. We're going to get home, my friends. And we're going to see all kinds of times that we were saved and we didn't even know about it. But the point is, it's going to happen. It has happened, and it will happen again, I'm sure. 
And we need to continually learn that the rudder is the gospel of Jesus Christ and nothing else is. And the uncharted waters that we head out into are not ones that we go out into because of our own impulse or pleasure, but rather the uncharted waters are encountering people who are in dangerous places because they don't have the rudder of the gospel and they're headed for sheer disaster because they don't know Jesus Christ. And we get to say, you know what? God has a plan for your life. God wants to take you to a place you've never been before, a place of safety, a safe harbor. I've been rescued by the good news of Jesus Christ. I, am, I will boast of that. There's no brag in that. I have been rescued by the grace of Jesus Christ, and I hope you have too, and I hope you know you have, and if you haven't, I hope that you'll hear this today as a call to let him be the one who rescues you so that you can be someone who's rescuing someone else in Jesus Christ. But the key to this is what Paul concludes with. He says, I make it my ambition to proclaim the good news, not where Christ has been named, but so that I do not build on someone else's foundation, but rather those who have never been told of him shall see, and those who have never heard of him shall understand. There's someone in your life that doesn't know this good news. There's someone in my life that needs to hear this good news. Who needs to hear from us about the life-saving rudder that is in Jesus Christ? Who needs to hear about how you've been captured by the Holy Spirit and set free from the bondage to any love but loving a life of serving him? Who needs to hear how God healed inside and maybe even outside your heart when it seemed impossible for that healing to happen? Who needs to hear what happened to you when Jesus Christ was allowed to direct you in ways you did not even know you needed to be directed? Who needs to hear that Jesus Christ is real and at work in lives today to make all things new? Who do we tell? We tell with boldness the people in the places who haven't heard. <laughs> you know, it's, you don't have to go to Elycrium. You don't need to go to the boondocks. I'll pretty much guarantee you, you can go next door. Maybe even if your next door neighbor says that they're a Christian, do they need that reminder? Do they need to hear that testimony? Of course they do. We tell those who think their hope in something other than a life daily surrendered to the presence of Jesus Christ and obedience to his call and command, we tell them, the lifeguard says, trust me, don't fight me. Jesus says the same thing to us and through us. This is the reason for our faith, that someone may know the hope that is ours in Christ, that someone may hear about that healing power. The greatest problem is our need for God. Pastor Paul Cedar put it so well. My most painful experiences have been when I had a problem and no one cared enough to tell me about it. How about that? My most painful experiences are life, in life have been when I had a problem and no one cared enough to say, hey, you're drifting out to sea. There's no rudder on that boat. There's no hope in that approach to life. We need to begin by helping one another know that we do have needs that only Jesus Christ can meet. We're not going to meet them any other way because we're not going to do it. It's only going to happen 
when whatever's going on in our lives is submitted to the life-changing power of the God who loved us enough to come and live and die and rise again for us. And I'm talking on a very practical level, whatever it is that's going on in our lives. And we need to go to places where we and no one else has ever gone to tell that to someone. Again, tell about that rescue. Let me finish with this. According to new research from the Center for the Study of Global Christianity at Fuller Theological Seminary, one out of five non-Christians in North America does not personally know a single follower of Jesus Christ. 20% of the population doesn't even know a follower of Jesus Christ. That's over 13 million people who do not have a Christian friend or even an acquaintance. And we wonder why the gospel is so misunderstood in our very midst. The percentages get higher for certain religious groups. For instance, 65% of Buddhists, 75% of Chinese uh, immigrants, 78% of Hindus, 43% of Muslims in America do not personally know a follower of Jesus Christ. I was going up to Reno on my motorcycle Friday, and I saw a bumper sticker that said, I love my Muslim neighbor. And I wanted to ask, pull the guy over and go, are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Does your Muslim neighbor know about Jesus, or are you just nice to your Muslim neighbor? Because being nice is not going to save anybody's life. But being kind in Jesus' name is going to change the world. Worldwide, the numbers are far greater than this. Eight in 10 non-Christians do not personally know a follower of Jesus Christ in the world. 80% of the world does not personally know a follower of Jesus Christ. A friend of mine, Todd Johnson, one of the researchers over this study, said that relatively small gestures, and this is key, like inviting families into our homes for dinner can have a bigger impact than huge mission campaigns. Todd said, you should really have lifelong friendships with Hindus and Buddhists and so on. It's simple. And yet it becomes a great deal when we say, I want to know you. Not as a project, but because Jesus Christ wants to know you. The reason for our faith is that Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, was willing to come and die and rise for us to rescue us. And when we know this, really know it every day, we know why we are here. And we know what someone else needs to hear from us about life being made new in Jesus Christ. We don't have to become great theologians. Though we should. We don't have to have the whole Bible memorized. John 3.16 would be a good place to start for God so loved the world. But we do need to be willing to let Jesus Christ change us so that we can be agents of that grace in the world. May we remember this gift and share it as our highest priority as we come to be physically reminded of what God did in coming to find us and capture us when we had sailed out to the jetty without a rudder. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you spared nothing. You held nothing back. You let all that you were be poured out for us. You are the reason that we have faith.
We are the reason you gave your life. How we praise you for this table and all that it means, and we pray that what it means every day we become an awareness that we share with the world. Bless us to be a blessing because we've been here. Let what has happened here supernaturally through your Holy Spirit become the evidence that pours out through our lives lived for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, dear Father.